Hello, everybody, and welcome to a second season of No Limits here on the State Hornet Podcast Network. We've been renewed for yet another season talking to you about everything in the pro sports world. And I am your co-host, Matt Gervin III. I'm joined again by my good friend, Gary Singh. Gary, how we doing today? What's up? What's Hannon? What's good with Mac Irvin the third? I felt good to say that. And I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's been a long break, brother. It's been a long break. But hey, we picked a good time to come back. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's a lot of stuff we missed over the break that I'm sure we'll get into later in the season. But right now, we gotta talk about the Super Bowl. And we'll also get into the coaching landscape in the NFL. And we'll even talk about the Sacramento Kings a little bit towards the end. But first, I think we need to welcome in our guest. Please welcome to the show, copy editor and assistant sports editor, Jordan Parker. What's up, guys? Happy to be here tonight. Yes, sir. And uh, while Jordan is here, let's talk about the hideous jersey that he has on today. (laughs) Let's dive right into our Super Bowl matchup. It is the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Kansas City Chiefs. And I feel like I owe the audience an apology for my misguided predictions that you may have heard last season. I got one half of it right, to be fair. You know, the Chiefs and the Buccaneers is just an interesting matchup. So, Gary, Jordan, I'll ask both of you, what are you guys expecting from this matchup? I'm expecting a high-scoring game. Obviously, when these two teams met in the regular season, I think the Bucks were still trying to find their footing offensively as far as their identity, but... I think over the second half of the season, you kind of saw that they hit their stride, and I think that they're going to match up against the Chiefs really well. Obviously, the Chiefs, we know what they bring to the table offensively, and they can score 30 with the bleak of an eye. So I'm looking forward to a good high-scoring matchup. Yes, yes, yes. Mac, like you said, we started off this year. I know my first prediction, like you said, was half right. I got Casey all year going to the bowl. Preseason pick was the uh, Saints, but obviously my midseason, which I'm going to ride because since that's the last time we talked about this, Mag, is Tampa Bay versus KC. Yes, Jordan, I called it. So I'm going to take some pride into calling that one. And what am I expecting? I'm expecting really, like Jordan said, I'm expecting a high-scoring game. I even got a score right now written down, 32-28. I got KC by four. I've been saying KC's going to win all year. And really, I just want some shit talking about Jordan. So let's get that cooking after Max talks. And <laughs> yeah, Jordan showed up into this podcast with a Tom Brady Buccaneers jersey on. And I'm feeling some kind of way about that. But you can't really argue with how Brady has performed this season and the entire team. I thought it was going to take them a little while to gel and become a cohesive unit and especially reach the Super Bowl. But I think they've kind of exceeded expectations a little bit you know they have looked flat at times but they've been shown they can know how to pull out a win when they really need it that game against uh, the Packers you know despite my feelings on the Packers whatever however negative they may be you know it still took a team effort to pull out that result and then you look at Brady's numbers I mean throwing for 4,600 yards that's impressive no matter what age you are in in this day and age so i mean both teams look solid on paper i rate kansas city just a little bit more but i mean it's any given sunday and especially in the super bowl we know things can change on a dime in this league so we'll have to see who who, who it comes down to who has the ball last and what the score is yeah i mean that's the main thing i think i was thinking about here who has the ball last but i think it's gonna be regular patrick mahomes we're gonna see a comeback from patrick 
Tom Brady might go by 10 again. But Patrick, I feel like he's going to pull it out. I feel like those weapons are going to step up. And it's just going to be too hard for that Tampa Bay defense to really stop Patrick Mahomes. I mean, they've been putting licks the last two weekends, last three weekends, really, on the quarterbacks been playing, especially Aaron Rodgers. They had him running for his life that game. So I think that's going to be something to key to watch. I think everyone's been sleeping on this Kansas City defense all year. I feel like this defense the last two years when clutch calls, they've been stepping up, especially with Honey Badger in the back end, who's like a versatile piece and really can do a lot of things. And Jones on the front, who causes a lot of pressure. I mean, it's going to be up to the line, I think, really. The defensive line, you know, we all want to talk about offense. I feel like that's like the, obviously the, the goat versus the maybe the baby goat. I got a goat shirt on today. So we'll see who it's going to be. But I think it's going to be like, just like basketball kind of, always, Shaq always says it's always about the others. And I feel like the others in this situation is going to be special teams and like their defense and the defensive line, you know. If also obviously offense line too. If they can protect Brady and let him feel comfortable, I think they'll have a good chance to win. But if he starts getting uncomfortable, we're going to see Brady tap dancing in the pocket. I don't know how much tap dancing he got left in him. Jordan, what you think about that? I mean, just like you guys said, I mean, the question's always been, when you go into big games like this, especially when we talked about Tom Brady over the years, you know if you give him a clean pocket, you're good as toast mm -hmm. any given Sunday. But if you look at the big games he's lost over the past couple years, I mean, when the Patriots lost to the Eagles, what happened? The pressure at the end. They forced a fumble. What happened in when we faced uh, Denver in those two AFC championship games? We lost the, the pressure. So... And I think when you just look at it and then you go back to the, his last Super Bowl victory against the Rams, no pressure. And, I mean, he didn't perform well, per se, but, I mean, they came out victorious just because they couldn't put the pressure on him when they needed to. So, and But when you look at the flip side in Patrick Mahomes, the same thing with him. If you don't put any pressure on him, he carves you up like Thanksgiving turkey. That's true. Man, I like that you mentioned the Bucks' defense, but they have been struggling with injury a little bit. I'm looking at the... Uh... The injury report right here says uh, Jordan Whitehead and Antoine Winfield Jr. You know, they've been two of the stalwarts in the secondary. They both were limited in practice, as was Antonio Brown and Jason Pierre-Paul. He didn't even practice, so that could that could be a key to look out for there. Le'Veon for the Chiefs. Looks like Le'Veon Bell and Sammy Watkins were limited. We know Eric Fisher, the offensive tackle, he went down with an Achilles injury in the AFC Championship game. And uh, they also lost one of their centers to coronavirus. So, like I said, anything can happen. We know Tom Brady, when he was with the Patriots, every Super Bowl that he lost, it was always a close game. He ne it never really lost in a blowout. It's always a close game, one score. Hey. So, I know the momentum feels like it's kind of on the Chiefs' side, but I, I know Tom Brady, and as much as I'd like to see the Taurus patch on to someone else, it's always dangerous rooting against him. Jordan, give me your final score prediction for this Super Bowl. Who wins? What's the score? Who's the MVP? Um, I'm going to go a little higher than Gary. I'm going to say 38-35, but MVP Tom Goat Brady. <laughs> you see, I'm not. You see, I'm not really sure why I asked that question and expected anything different. <laughs> Gary, who's your MVP going to be? My MVP is going to be the baby goat, 32-28, Patrick Mahomes. And quick thing, Mac, you said that Tom Brady never loses by that much. I don't think Patrick loses by. I think must lost. I don't think he never lost by double digits in his career. If he played, starting, so might have fact checked me about that. But I'm pretty 99% sure I heard that. So. It's going to be an interesting one. I can't wait. I can't wait to talk to you on Monday, too, Jordan, now. 
Especially with the jersey <laughs> with the request to come in on the first show today. <laughs> All right, I'm going to say 41 to 33, Kansas City gets the win. And I'm going to go off the cuff. I'm going to say Tyreek Hill gets Super Bowl MVP Ooh. just because I got to be different. You Ooh. know, he's that difference maker on that team. All right, so we talked about the Super Bowl. Now let's move on to another topic in the NFL. And uh, there were seven head coaching changes in the NFL this year. And none of the coaches that were hired for any of those vacancies were minority coaches. I mean, you can make the case for Robert Sala being a, being a Muslim head coach now. But uh, no black head coaches hired to any of the positions. Jordan, I know you wrote an opinion article on the State Hornet. And the title was, The Rooney Rule Has Done Nothing But Fail Minority Coaches. Has the Rooney Rule done anything positive for minority coaches in the NFL, or do you think it's been a bust? Uh, I think when you look at what the rule was created for, obviously made with good intentions by late Steelers owner Dan Rooney, but when you just really look at 21 out of the 108 vacancies since 2003 when the rule was instituted, only 21 coaches hired have been minorities or black. So when you look at it that way, I don't think it's done much. It's gotten minorities interviews, maybe, but it hasn't translated into hirings. Yeah, it's been it's an interesting one because I remember when I first heard the rule, when I first heard what it was designed to do, my thought immediately was, well, what if a team just pulls in the black custodian or janitor that they have for an interview? Because that satisfies the rule, right? You brought in a minority candidate and interviewed him to be the head coach. And I wonder how many times that's happened in the league where they've brought in somebody that they knew they had no chance they were going to get the head coaching job, but they interviewed him anyway. It seems like, and uh, Jordan made this point before we went on air, it seems like the same coaches keep getting the same minority interviews. It's always coaches like Marvin Lewis and Jim Caldwell. And I do think Jim Caldwell deserves another chance to be a head coach. But it's always those same guys. And when you have exciting coordinators like Eric Bieniemy, you know, we talked about Chris Richard. I know he took a year off, but he's out there. There are so many exciting talents, even in the college ranks. You know, David Shaw hasn't made the step up to the NFL. Still, you look at all these coordinators and all these position coaches in the NFL, it really is baffling that they keep picking guys that seemingly come from nowhere. Where where are all these guys coming from? I don't I don't know, and it's uh it's an interesting question for sure. Yeah, so Mac and Jordan, I think the biggest thing I've been thinking about on this topic is why, like why aren't minority coaches getting hired? I think like Jordan put it perfectly, and Mac you put it perfectly. This rule hasn't worked, and I don't know if the rule being revamped is gonna help that situation either. So I want to figure, I want to pose the question of. Who do we have to put the pressure on to make these changes happen in the NFL? And I think really what it comes down to is going to come down to two sets of people. As we know, it's going to come down to owners. That's going to be the number one option. That's the people making the hire. That's the people making the big-time decisions. We all know if Jerry Jones wants some man, like you say, a janitor off the street, he's going to hire the janitor off the street. You know what I'm saying? So, And I think the second people that it's kind of sad, not sad to say, but it's kind of put them in a tough position because that's not in their job. But I think players, and especially superstar players, superstar players like we've seen Patrick Mahomes, you know, all the, any player, Tom Brady, all these players don't make the official decision, but they have an influence on this league. And when you see so many, you see a whole 
all assistant coaches for KC being minorities, that proves something. That means there's it's not the issue of there's not talent out there. There's not people ready for the job. Like Jordan put out in his article, there's people who are ready for the job to be taken and simply are not getting denied the opportunity, not given the opportunity. They're given, like you guys say, given opportunity to interview, but not given that true opportunity. They're getting denied at the door. And I feel like that's the biggest issue here. And it's hard to say because there's no clear-cut answer of how do we do this and how to, because obviously you don't want to, it, it kind of makes it seem like I bet you some people feel like, oh, I just don't want to start like Patrick Mahomes. The pressure doesn't want to fire his coach. You know, his, his coach is a white coach, but he's one of the best coaches in the league right now. You know what I'm saying? So it kind of puts him in a tough situation. But like you guys mentioned, you have seven hires. Only one of them gets hired as a minority coach. When most of the league, majority of the league is black, that's just a fact of the whole thing. That's something like the NBA, it has to be said. And there has to be some type of thing where that opportunity is given, the opportunity that's a true opportunity. And I think, like, you know, it's going to start from the top to the bottom, but the bottom has to work hard to force the top to change. So I think that's what the NFL is going to have to do. And I really just hope we can get on the right path because obviously that rule was put in place, like you said, to make these changes. And those changes haven't been made. And I just feel proud as my, I'm a Steelers fan. So I'm like, obviously, Mike Tomlin has been holding that reign and holding that position of hierarchy in that system for a very long time, which I'm proud of. And I just hope that people will see that story and give more opportunities like that because I'm tired of seeing, like you guys saying, the merry-go-round of coaches just getting go tossed around, the same coaches getting hired. And like you even said earlier, Jordan, before we even talked here, same coaches getting interviewed but not giving true chances just to check marks a box. There has to be real change in the NFL. They they talk about it, but we obviously we got to put some more feet to the fire to really make some changes. Like I know if LeBron had an issue, maybe with some of those superstar players, they would even demand trades. If that's what has to be done, I know that's like a that's a hard thing to put on players. But if you want to enact change and you're about to change, then I feel like that's what that needs to be done. I like how you mentioned uh, Mike Tomlin because I feel like he represents, as far as black coaches go and as a black person myself, he represents kind of like the last domino. I feel like if Mike Tomlin falls, I don't know what the future of black <laughs> coaches is after that because, I mean, the way he's been able to hold on to the position for so long has just been quite incredible because it's probably never been done. Mm-hmm. And when you look Look at it after that, I mean, you have people like Anthony Lynn who just got fired, and you have people like Leslie Frazier who wants to seek another opportunity. He's the defensive coordinator for the Bills. I mean, when you look at that and it's just like Mike Tomlin, if he goes, I really don't know what happens after that. Yeah, a quick thing like you mentioned, Jordan, I feel like like the main thing right there mentioned to Mike Tomlin is not that – He's just keeping his job. He's actually doing excellent his job. He's a Hall of Famer in his job. So like you said, I hope that Domino as a Steelers fan never falls. But like you said, like it's not just that he's just doing the job. He's been doing the job great for many years. So I feel like that's a standard of excellence. Other coaches, whatever race you are, have to meet. Simple as that. All right, well, now that we've talked about the NFL a lot, let's switch gears and come on home. Let's talk about our Sacramento Kings. They've been somewhat of an enigma this season. Hard to predict going into the season and still kind of unpredictable. 21 games in, the Kings are currently sitting at 10 and 11, still last place in the Pacific Division. But they're currently sitting at an 11th place in the Western Conference standings, only a game and a half out of fifth seed in the Western Conference. A lot of teams struggling. There's a lot of shift going on. And with the way De'Aaron Fox and rookie Tyrese Halliburton are playing, the question we got to ask is, what are your expectations for the Kings this year now that we're 21 games in? Jordan, let's start with you. Uh, I definitely think just 
because of all the unpredictable starts to the season in the Western Conference and the fact that it is close between a lot of teams, if the Kings, it always comes down to if the Kings play with the same intensity they did in the game against the Celtics the other night, if they <laughs> keep that throughout the rest of the season, they will make the playoffs. Can they play like that the rest of the season? I think that's the big question, and I think that's always been the question over the past couple of years. You see they've had terrible losses and great victories over the past couple seasons going back to two years ago when they fell like, what was it, like four games out of playoff contention. They almost made a run at it, but they just couldn't quite finish the job. And then they came back last season and kind of disappointed. But I'm really looking for them to make a push towards the playoffs this season. I think they can. I think De'Aaron Fox took the next step, and he continues to take the next step. He's going to be an all-star. I'm looking for the Kings to make some noise this year in the Western Conference. Man, it's a little early to start saying the P word, isn't it? (laughs) It's a little early to start using that P word. But, I mean, I'm encouraged from what I've seen. I was... I had given up all optimism heading into the season, you know, after the fiasco that was the Bogdan Bogdanovich trade uh, that failed and he ended up leaving for nothing. You know, I didn't have high hopes for this team this year. I was like, it's going to be Monty McNair's first year. I expect a really tough year, a high draft pick, and then, you know, we'll roll in the next year and see what we have under us. But, I mean, the team has been playing okay on the offensive front. It's the defensive front that scares me, and that's been the case for a while. But, I mean, when you look at the numbers that the Kings have been putting up, De'Aaron Fox averaged 22.3 points a game. That's pretty good, and he's kind of justifying why we paid him that max money, especially if he keeps putting on those fourth-quarter performances that he's been putting on over the last five games. And Tyrese Halliburton as well. I was skeptical of him just because of the Kings' history. I'm skeptical on every draft pick. You know, I think they... I just don't have that optimism anymore about draft picks in Sacramento, but he's he is he's really good. He might be a difference maker for this team. They just seem so much more invigorated when he's on the floor. I'm looking at the Western Conference, and a lot of teams are out of position compared to where I thought they were going to be heading into the season. The biggest one being the Dallas Mavericks all the way down at 14th place, and they just got clapped by the Warriors tonight. So, I mean, it's... Uh, It looks like a very volatile Western Conference, but I think, you know, I still think it's too early to say the P word, but if if it keeps going on like this, if they can manage to pull themselves above 500, keep playing the way they are, get a little bit better on the defensive front, it might not be as out of the box as I thought it was at the start of the season. See, Jordan, Boston fan, noticed everything's Boston today. If you notice, Mac is what a true Kings fan is, scarred. Scarred in every decision. And every draft pick, and always got to think of the negative. But I'm going to flip it like I've been doing all year, Mac. What I tell you before we left the pod? Rookie of the year, Tyrese Halliburton, stepping up like I called it. So that's making me feel real good that Tyrese is stepping up to the plate. And like you said, Mac, he's playing closing minutes, and he's right there neck and neck with uh, LaMelo Ball for the rookie of the year. Simple as that. I don't. Know. And then also got the Wiseman there, too. He's been having a great year, too. So those three guys I've been loving. Like you said, Mac, too, we paid De'Aaron, and obviously, like I told you, we were going to pay him whatever. We would have gave him the whole city. We got to keep somebody here, or we're going to have nothing without De'Aaron. So paying De'Aaron looks good. 
All-Star Jordan? I don't know about All-Star. I hope he does. I don't think he can get enough votes with how many guards are in the league. But, yeah, he's All-Star caliber for sure, I think. I think he's stepping up, taking that next step. Realistic expectation. Expectations always championship in my mind. But that's why we say realistic expectation for the Kings. Tampered, tampered expectation. And tampered expectation is exactly what I had in the beginning of the year, Mac. We talked about it before when we were before when they were talking about should they tank and everything like that. And I kept preaching to you. I don't care what they do this season as long as they build winning habits. You have to build a culture of winning habits to have a winning organization. You can see any years that great franchises are down, like the Celtics, like the Heat, those type of franchises, when they're down, even when they're losing, they're still having winning habits. So I feel like the Kings are building winning habits. Even a couple weeks ago when it was going like that five-game skid, I was getting a little nervous. But, hey, they doubled back. They learned their lessons. And realistically, I had them as an AC Jordan coming in. I'm just gonna I'm gonna temper my expectations even lower now. I'm gonna say eight to ten as long as that counts as the playing game. As long as you get in the playing game, I'm gonna be super happy as a Kings fan. And simple as that, I think the city would throw a party if we get to the playoffs even. So I think that's the realistic expectation. I'm liking everything I'm seeing from the Kings. I think roles are getting more developed day by day. And like you guys said, slow start to like the Dallas and like Weird teams hopping up in the West. I feel like it's giving the opportunity because the season has been weird. So I think as long as the Kings keep consistency and start making those winning habits, you know, like not those games like Jordan says, one game, one day they look crazy and the next day they look like trash. As long as they can keep the consistency of, even if they're in losses, keep the consistency of what the game plan is and what the culture of the team's going to be and people are playing their roles, I'll be happy as a Kings fan. And if they can get to the 8 to 10 seed, I think that will think make everyone smile. I think that's an important point you raise with the playing games being in effect this year. Uh, you know, without those, I don't think I don't think I would be saying the p word. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, it looks like they've done a really good job of solidifying their core and who's getting what minutes. You know, it looks like they've frozen out Nemanja Bjelica for the time being. Looks like he's going to get moved sometime <laughs> before the deadline. And uh, you know, they got their starting five. I'm looking at it. Fox, Barnes, Heald, and Bagley, they've started all 21 games. And then Holmes has started 20, and Halliburton started one. So they got their, you know, starting six lined up. So Quick question for uh, you to dip out. Is Holmes, I've been seeing this topic everywhere, is Holmes a starting center in this league? Does he, is, was he an impact player like that? Because I'm seeing a lot of yes or no's. What you guys think real quick? I think he is. I personally haven't watched him much, but I did get to – See a little glimpse of it when Boston played Philadelphia and he was there. He was a really good player for them off the bench. He was impactful. When you look around the league, there's obviously not a lot of teams that play with a traditional center anymore. So when you kind of say center, I mean, you may be talking about a different thing. Yeah. Just depending on what team you're talking about. But just the question, like, can he be a starting center in the league? I think he can. Can he? Yes. Is his is he the ideal starting center? Probably not. Is he the starting center on a lot of these contending teams? No, I, I think the answer is no. But I love Rashawn Holmes. I love the energy he brings to Sacramento, and I think he's a valuable asset on any team you put him on. And he's filling his role nicely while he's here. And if he's here for the long term, the Kings are gonna be better for it. I'm gonna say one thing real quick, Mac. I think Rashawn Holmes is gonna be our Udonis Haslam. I think he's going to be a long-tenure guy. I love Rashawn Holmes because all the energy he brings. 
Jordan, start watching my brother. He got a push shot from mid-range, automatic bucket in the floater. He, he's just like Harold on the Lakers right now. Super energy buckets. No plays called for him. I'm telling you, we got ourselves a Udonis Haslam type guy. I'm telling you. That's why I just wanted to say that. <laughs> that's a bold-ass claim, Gary. Bold and on that bold-ass claim, we're going to end this episode right here. So thanks, everybody, for listening. Make sure to check out all the other podcasts on the State Hornet Podcast Network. We thank Jordan Parker for joining us, and we'll see you next week for the next episode of No Limits. Peace.